0: Hi, everyone. This is a special episode of the Good Counsel podcast. It's a narrated biography about our dog Rocky and the 10 years that she spent with me and my family. She passed away back in April, and this is my best attempt to tell that story. Obviously, this is very personal, and it's special to me. So, I really appreciate your interest and support. I'm Eric Bricker, and I've been a psychotherapist for over 25 years. One thing I can tell you for certain is that no one makes it through life unscathed. At some point, many of us will rely on the trusted counsel of another person to help us navigate difficult times or to reconcile a troubled past. Whether conventional or unconventional, professional or informal, there are a lot of different forms that helping relationships can take. This podcast is an exploration into what makes these relationships work. Who are the people that help us? How do they help us? And what do people need help with? My hope is to uncover as much as I can about this very human phenomenon, and I hope that you'll join me. This is the Good Counsel Podcast. March 2016. It was a breezy day during that perfect pocket of weather before late spring arrives with its torrential downpours and that Velcro blanket of choking humidity that is the dread of every South Florida resident all summer long. It was on days like this that I used to bring her to the dog park. I can see her now. We are standing at opposite ends of the grass field in the center of the park, facing each other. I raise my hand and she takes off, ears pinned back, eyes narrowed, mouth open in a smile as she bobs her head in rhythm with her stride. She brushes my hand as she runs past. She turns to look at me as if to say, was that fast enough for you? And I think to myself, you were majestic, like a wild Mustang rushing across the Great Plains. I'm just fucking with you. What I'm actually thinking is that my dog just charged across 50 yards of mud and dog shit, so now I'm going to have to hose her off. I remind her that this generally works out better if everyone cooperates. We drive home in silence as exhaustion sets in and she settles to rest in the back seat. I am rewarded with the ambient fragrance of wet dog within an enclosed space for the duration of our ride home. It's been about five years since the last time we went to the dog park. She came up limping the last few times. Eventually, she developed arthritis in her left front knee and a slight limp that became permanent. I don't think she would have allowed this to stop her from running at full speed, and I was fearful of the damage it would do. She was aging, and structural injuries tend to speed up that process. It sucks watching your dog get old. To me, it serves as a permanent reminder to enjoy the things that you love because you never know which time is going to be the last time. Part 2. Rescue Dogs August 3rd, 2012 Facebook page, Urgent Dogs and Cats of Miami Please help me and my babies. I just gave birth at a high-kill shelter in Miami and my babies and I are in danger of being killed if no one steps up to help us. Will you open your heart to me and my family? The post was actually a little longer than that, but you get the point. It included pictures of Rocky and her puppies in a correctional-looking cage with thick gunmetal bars. They had named the homeless dog Caramel at the shelter. She was an all-white American bulldog mix with a brindled patch around her right eye. I imagine that she reminded one of the shelter workers of a cream-centered Caramel that one might find in a candy dish on Grandma's coffee table. The post received 54 responses from the legion of dedicated rescue advocates that followed the page. There were pledges of donations and discussions about foster placements. My understanding is that the puppies were adopted out pretty easily. Rocky, known then as Caramel, ended up with a foster family in the suburbs of West Delray Beach. She received a name upgrade and was called Bella. Her foster mom was a devoted rescue advocate with a pack of friendly retrievers with whom Bella seemed to fit right in. Incidentally, the foster mom, a woman by the name of Diane, became our most trusted advisor on all dog-related matters right up until Rocky's final days. Diane is a sworn member of the Society of Rescue Advocates that devote considerable portions of their lives to helping dogs like Rocky. Every year, scores of dogs are abandoned and left to fend for themselves in the Miami Everglades. The things that happen to these homeless animals are unspeakable. Many of them end up meeting their fates in Dade County's overpopulated, high-kill shelters. Fortunately, there are organizations of individuals like Diane, who have created rescue and foster care networks to allow the more fortunate of these animals an opportunity to be adopted. We had been referred to diane by a work colleague of jamie's after meeting rocky at the foster home we brought her to our house for a trial run that lasted for about an hour there was no way we weren't going to keep that dog what it was about her is hard to describe she wasn't super affectionate or overly enthusiastic about us at first however she just had this quiet presence and her way of just being with us i remember sitting in the den watching TV, and all of a sudden, she just popped up on the couch like she belonged there. A few minutes later, she stretched out, and I felt the top of her head burrowing into the side of my leg. She fell asleep like that. A few days later, we finalized the adoption paperwork, and I took Rocky home for good. I remember making eye contact with her in the rearview mirror on the ride home. I felt like we were sharing a special moment, and then she vomited generously all over the backseat of my car. Welcome to your forever home, Rocky. Part 3. A Boy and His Dog At the time, Sam was 10. He was an only child who was well accustomed to the peaceful sanctuary of a quiet home. From an early age, he was blessed with a certain self-reliance for keeping himself entertained with books, television, and his own imagination. He was happy, and he never seemed lonely. He was easy to raise, easy to be with, and easy to love. He had zero preoccupation with materialism a rare quality among the youth of Boca Tone. I could not recall a single birthday where he asked for anything specific. So when he finally asked us for a dog, he had our attention. I was skeptical at first for all of the usual reasons, but I was easily won over. If there was any residual doubt left at all, it was permanently assuaged by the instantaneous bond between my son and his new best friend. Even though the dog was female, he insisted on the name Rocky. My wife, Jamie, decided that if one were to remove the Y at the end of the name and replace it with an I, that this would be the proper feminine spelling. Jamie was a schoolteacher and a reading specialist, so she was the resident authority on all spelling related matters. And so it came to pass that Bella, formerly known as Caramel, would become Rocky with an I. It's hard to put into words exactly what it was about Sam and Rocky's relationship that was such a special thing to witness. There's a lot that I could say. However, there is a single image that comes to mind above all of the others. The boy was sick at home one day, and we had to leave him by himself for a while. He was lying on the couch, covered in a blanket up to his neck. He was miserable. And there was Rocky, sitting upright, looming over him. Her affect, posture, and demeanor were all different from usual. Normally, she would just curl up at the foot of the couch... I remember wondering, does she actually know that he's sick? And then it occurred to me, she wasn't just sitting with him, she was attending to him. From the beginning, there was something almost maternal about the way that she regarded him. Rocky was, after all, a mother, and I often wondered if some of her maternal instinct transferred over to Sam. She would often lick him in the way that adult dogs do with their pups when they are grooming them or trying to comfort them. Was it unreasonable to assume that once Rocky figured out the dynamic of the pack into which she had been adopted, that she would have known that Jamie and I were the parents, and that Sam was our child? I'm not sure, but I do believe that dogs have some way of conceptualizing these things. Rocky was not what you would call a starter dog. In her youth, she was a powerful 50 pounds of bully breed intensity, with a low center of gravity, willfulness, and prey drive. In other words... She was a pain in the ass to walk. If she saw a squirrel, outdoor cat, or one of those slow-moving mutant ducks, she would dislocate your shoulder trying to get to it. We went through three different types of collars and harnesses before we found a way to contain her without allowing her to choke herself or break her own neck. Over time, Sam learned to assert himself to where he could be trusted to walk her and look after her on his own. We spent several months of middle school volunteering at a dog rescue together. I look back on that time fondly. We both learned a lot from the experience and for certain became better dog handlers as a result. They had some pretty serious dogs on that property, some of whom had come from abusive and neglectful backgrounds. To volunteer there, you had to be able to handle the dogs responsibly. There were some dogs who had to remain separated from others, and other dogs who were only learning to walk on a leash for the first time. I have a picture of Sam and his friends attempting to bathe the Great Dane in a kiddie pool. He was the size of a donkey. The whole scene reminded me of a car wash. Witnessing the transformations that occurred within some of these dogs over time was incredible. The volunteer trainers were amazing. The goal was to make each of the dogs adoptable, and from what I saw, they came pretty damn close. It's kind of cool watching your kid participate in something like that, and then witnessing how the experience transforms them into a more mature version of themselves. He and Rocky's relationship was something really special, and I imagine that Sam will probably own dogs for the rest of his life. Part 4. That's Our Girl There are two types of spoiled dogs. The first kind is the one that nobody likes. Overindulged and entitled with no sense of reciprocity to its owner or family. Quite literally... A dog that bites the hand that feeds it. These are dogs that are generally under-socialized and improperly trained. It's 100% owner error. Dogs are not ornaments. They have to be provided with the structure necessary to establish their appropriate place within the pack hierarchy. This requires dedication, time, patience, and most importantly, love. Then there's the other kind of spoiled dog. Rocky was beloved by all members of the family, and she knew it. She was allowed to sit on every piece of furniture, sleep in our beds, and eat our food. We'd have actual arguments over who was her favorite family member. I've experienced literal feelings of rejection if I wanted Rocky to sit with me on the couch and she went to somebody else. That is so embarrassing to say, but it's the truth. My wife Jamie actually made up a song called Who Loves Their Mommy The Most, and she would sing it to our dog while she held Rocky's face in her hands. What is it that separates dog like ours from any other spoiled dog? It's her loyalty, reciprocity, and that what she is willing to give was equal to what she got. She was as committed to us as we were to her. I was coming home one day from the gym, no particular hurry. I pulled into the driveway. My neighbor's son was walking a German Shepherd that I hadn't seen before. I walked out to the sidewalk to say hello. The dog growled and backed up toward her owner. She was wary of strangers, apparently. I understood. I didn't come any closer. I stepped back onto my driveway and greeted my neighbor at a safe distance. We spoke briefly and were suddenly interrupted by the sound of my garage door opening. My wife, Jamie, often brings Rocky out to greet me when I come home. We usually walk her together. For some reason unknown to us, Rocky prefers when all members of the household are present for walks. She tends to walk further, with greater purpose and is also far more likely to do her business during one of these family excursions. In fact, if I try to excuse myself, as I have on many occasions, Rocky would shame me with her judgmental stare until I put on my sneakers. For that particular walk, Rocky hadn't yet been leashed. From the garage, she did a quick scan of the situation and clearly identified that there was something that she did not like. She scurried out of the garage and got between myself and the shepherd, She growled a stern warning into the face of the other dog. The hair along her back center line raised. I grabbed her by the collar, inadvertently clutching a handful of her considerable quantity of neck flab. I pulled her back and put myself between her and the other dog. Then I leashed her and moved her back toward the garage. That was really unusual. From day one, Rocky was always very well socialized with people and other dogs. We routinely visited the dog park. For the most part, she was pretty submissive, social, and friendly. She liked people, particularly the ones who gave her attention. Most of my neighbors liked her. In the 10 years since we've had her, she's never bitten another dog or person. However, she was definitely protective and territorial around us in the home. At the moment, she concluded that I needed to be defended. So there was Rocky, 12 years old, which is the equivalent of being an 84-year-old person. She had an arthritic left front leg that bowed out awkwardly from the hip, causing her to waddle when she quickened her pace. This feature was accentuated by the fact that she was overweight. She was missing several of her teeth. Clearly, she gave no thought to any of these potential liabilities when it came to protecting her people, and any of us three who were fortunate enough to live in her house were, for certain, Rocky's people. It's ironic that people often attribute human-like qualities to their pets, Because the things that animals do that endear them to us the most are somewhat rare in people. I think the greatest of which is the ability to convincingly convey devotion without the use of affirming words. Rocky never told us that she loves us, but she demonstrates it in the feral and kinetic way that is unique to dogs. It's her presence, attention, constant close proximity, and excitement every time I walk in the door. As my wife Jamie likes to say, she tells me with her eyes. For some people, this unquestionable devotion from their pets is the only unconditional love they've ever known. I've met people who confided in me, privately, that their dog is the only meaningfulness that they have. If I wasn't here, what would happen to him? The dog's reliance and dependence on the owner gives purpose to their existence. Someone has to get out of bed to feed and walk a dog, give it attention, buy its food, take it to the vet, etc. People are often willing to do for their pets what they are unwilling to do for themselves. For some people, a dog stands as the only definitive proof that the person is capable of being lovable at all. There are people who would dismissively attribute this connection to a simple primal exchange of survival currency. Humans provide dogs with food and shelter. In exchange, the dog provides the person with protection and companionship. After all, there are other examples within the animal kingdom of species who rely upon the relationship with other species for their survival. We call these symbiotic relationships, like the remora who cleans the surface off of the shark in exchange for his protection. I like to think that the relationship between dog and person is something more. In any kind of healthy relationship between a dog and its owner, the dog comes to rely on their person. That reliance is based in safety and trust. And trust leads to secure attachment, and consistency over time leads to meaningful relationship. And somehow, this takes us far beyond the survival exchange into something very different. Dogs have pack drive and an innate need for connection with others. Humans have something similar. What is remarkable to me is that this relationship can be exchanged between two different species in a way that seems very natural and very complete. Part 5 The Shitty Part of the Story. I think it was Sam who had first discovered the lump on her neck when he was home for spring break. Rocky had developed her share of superficial and benign fatty tumors over time, but instinctively we all knew that this was something different. Jamie brought Rocky to the vet as soon as she could get an appointment, and it was there that we were given the devastating news. Multicentric lymphoma is 100% fatal in dogs. If treated with chemotherapy, they might enjoy a temporary remission. However, as our vet stated very succinctly and directly, lymphoma would be her demise. This particular form of cancer has two variations, B-cell and T-cell. T-cell lymphoma is considered the more aggressive type, subsequently The life expectancy for dogs diagnosed with the T-cell type is shorter on average, even with chemotherapy. We consulted with a veterinary oncologist and began treatment which consisted of prednisone, a steroid that reduces inflammation in the lymph nodes, in addition to a starter dose of chemotherapy. I believe that for a younger dog, this could have been a viable option. According to the research literature, dogs tolerate chemo well and the treatment extends the dog's life on average. However, Rocky was 12 years old, and as we discovered from the results of her flow cytometry diagnostic, she had the more aggressive T-cell variation. In my initial shock and grief, I had committed to the idea of chemo, believing that the potential extension of her life was worth any price. In my mind, we would simply continue on with our dog in the idyllic routine that had defined our lives with Rocky for the past 10 years. I remember the look on people's faces when I would tell them, the constricted, sad expression that one reserves for the delusional. They didn't have the heart to tell me. There is no Santa Claus, no Superman, no pot of gold over the rainbow, and your dog is going to die just like everybody else's. She couldn't tolerate the prednisone. She was agitated and confused. She wouldn't sleep at night no matter how many sedatives she was given. One night, that first week, she had a seizure. She suddenly shot forward, crashing into the coffee table, rigid, disoriented, and convulsing. I restrained her in my lap while injecting a syringe of liquid volume into her rectum. She collapsed in my arms. Her bladder emptied into my lap. I thought she had died right there. And then she started snoring loudly, sawing wood like an old man. Jamie and I just started laughing. Uh, Eric, Jamie said. I think the volume was supposed to go up her nose. The entire month was a sleepless and confusing and sad blur as we waited for the unimaginable. We had one single hope. We just wanted her to wait until Sam came home from college so that he could say goodbye. Unfortunately, he never got that chance. One night, very late, Jamie woke me from the living room. Rocky couldn't walk. It was a short conversation. We both knew it was time. I carried her out to the car. Without going into unnecessary detail, I will say that the process was far more merciful than I had ever imagined. The overnight staff at Calusa Veterinary Center was incredible. They have some truly compassionate people working there, and it made a difference. The vet assuaged our doubts and uncertainty when he confirmed that the cancer had in fact spread into her organs and that there was a large tumor on her liver. The inflammation of her internal organs had caused her stomach to become distended. She was suffering. We took a private moment to say our goodbyes while preparing emotionally for the dreaded inevitability. When they injected her with the initial sedative, Rocky went into a deep sleep. It was the first time since this entire ordeal began that my dog appeared to be at peace. I was terribly saddened but relieved at the same time. Jamie expressed something similar. When it was over, we went home and crashed into the fitful sleep of the exhausted and bereaved. Part 6. We Have to Tell the Boy We waited until later that day, hoping to catch him in his apartment where he would have some privacy. It was a short conversation. He assured us that he was okay, and we left him to his process. Sam was a sophomore at the University of Florida where he majored in computer science. Final exams were to begin in two days. We were worried about him. Over the coming days, I checked in a few times, tried to offer encouragement and support, He didn't want to get into it, preferring to keep his attention on the task at hand. There would be time enough to process when finals were over and he was home. Jamie and I counted the minutes, missing him badly in these moments. When Rocky's ashes were returned to us, Jamie and I decided to bury them in the backyard. I got a stone with her name on it, so that we could mark a permanent place for her. That way, she would always be a part of our home. We made a haphazard ceremony of it, saying a few words over the site as we buried the box of ashes and set the stone. We invited Sam to participate via FaceTime. He respectfully declined. It was not uncommon for us to see butterflies in the yard, as we have some of the plants that attract them naturally. On cue, one appeared from the bushes, the metaphoric ascension of a soul gone to heaven. We laughed. A cliché moment right out of a Disney movie. Only Rocky could have pulled off that kind of poetry from the grave. Later that day, I checked in with Sam again. I decided not to get into it about the dog. We talked about some other things. Finals were over, so that was a relief. He was looking forward to coming home. He had a tutoring job lined up for over the summer. When he got home, we'd set him up with a membership at the local gym. There was a pause in the conversation, and he surprised me by asking about Rocky's makeshift funeral. So, how was the procession? He asked. Sam, it wasn't exactly a procession. We just buried her ashes in the yard and put a stone down. We said a few words. It was nice. You should check it out when you come home. Okay, he paused. So, how are you and Mom doing? He sounded concerned, and it occurred to me that he's probably a little worried about us. He's very thoughtful that way, and it always takes me by surprise, mostly because I think of it as my job to worry about him. I tell him, this has been rough, but we're okay. That's good, he said. He pauses. I was worried about you guys. I'm not going to come home and find a fucking taxidermy dog in the living room, am I? I paused for a second. I couldn't believe he said it. And then my mind's eye conjured up the absurd mental image. It was the first real laugh I'd had since Rocky died. Now I knew for sure that Sam was going to be just fine. He ended the semester with his highest GPA since starting college. He had pressed through the pain of adversity at the height of a pressured moment and somehow managed to stay on task. He was resilient and had proven that he was becoming a man who could persevere. I was proud of him. He had impressed me yet again. Part 7. Acceptance. A quote by Erica Jong: Dogs come into our lives to teach us about love and loyalty. They depart to teach us about loss. A new dog never replaces an old dog. It merely expands the heart. If you have loved many dogs, your heart is very big. In the shadowy hours of early morning, I saw her among the pile of blankets at the foot of the bed. And then she was gone. That's happened to me a few times since she had died. I missed her. The reminders were everywhere. Later that day, I was at the computer. I brought myself to open the Everglades Angels dog rescue page. Jamie was doing a fundraising event for them for her birthday. I casually perused the adoptable dogs and looked on at their scruffy and hopeful faces. Jamie was ready for a dog. I wanted to wait, but I knew we would not. Jamie didn't just want another dog. She needed one. We would likely get one from the rescue. We spoke about it later that day we shared the comforting notion that Rocky had passed on to make space for another rescue dog to have a home. I liked that idea. Jamie paused for a second and smiled at me. Hun, I think this time we should get two. She looked at my face, and then she giggled. A month later, we brought home a pair of sibling pups who had been born at the rescue. Such is the life of dog people. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate your support. Now go out and get a dog. And while you're at it, please check out Season 2 of the Good Counsel Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at my website, goodcounselpod.com, coming to you this September.